your attention this morning to the Word. This is the most important time of the message. And uh, I trust that God will speak to you through John 16, verse 16. And if you have turned there, I would like to begin simply by reading verse 16 to give you the setting here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in a hostile world. We learned that several weeks ago when Corey preached on John 15. He said, the world's going to hate you. I'm going to send you into the world. How's that for a nice send-off? They're going to hate you because they hated me, and I'm sending you into this hostile world. And in John 16, 16, hours literally before his death on the cross, Jesus speaks these words, John 16, 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now skip down to verse 33, please. Skip down to verse 33. John 16, 33. And this is what Jesus says. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. And I'm sure they all looked at him at that moment like, gee, thanks. But here's what makes it all work. But take heart. Take courage. Cheer up. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you that... You've overcome the world. Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent, Father. Jesus Christ, who who you sent, who died on this earth for my sins, for our sins, for the sins of your people, who rose from the dead three days later, who ascended into heaven, seated at your right hand. Father, I come to you in his name because he taught me here, he's teaching me here to pray to you in his name and saying, if I ask, you will hear and I will receive that you might be glorified. So Father, I ask in Jesus' name for the gift of preaching Lord, I ask for my friends to hear, undistracted, to hear with illumination of your spirit, Father, that it might change them, me, us. Build your church, Father. Oh, I'm praying your will. I know because you taught me this. Jesus came saying, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Lord, at times it feels like we're at the gates of hell, Father. The opposition at times is rather strong, and we and our weak, frail beings and our weak faith, we, we, we tremble. We faint a little bit. Lord, strengthen us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On June 6, 1944, General Dwight D. Eisenhower the Supreme Allied Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force, assembled to invade Europe and defeat Nazi Germany in World War II. Folks, the war war ended that day of the invasion. 
However, there would be many battles after that invasion until surrender was accepted by the Nazis about a year later in May of 1945. The war ended D-Day. Because when the Allies gained a foothold on Normandy, that was basically it. But they then had to fight many battles until May of 45 when surrender was signed with Germany. I want to read to you a portion of his address, General Eisenhower's address, to this expeditionary force. Listen carefully. Sailors, soldiers, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms and other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year, 1944. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together in victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. And let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Folks, in our text today, we have an even greater and more noble undertaking. We have an even greater and more noble supreme allied commander, Jesus Christ, who has come to this earth to launch the invasion that ended the war 2,000 years ago, though the battles have continued to be fought by his expeditionary forces over the years, and they are still being fought by us today. Jesus came not simply to liberate the oppressed peoples of Europe from Nazi tyranny. Jesus came to liberate the oppressed peoples of the world from sin's tyranny. The war ended on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus made a show of the enemies of God openly on the cross and defeated them. And three days later, the father raised the son, accepting his sacrifice, and the war was over. But there's a lot of battle still to be fought before final surrender is signed. The last enemy... Well, Scripture tells us that's death. He hasn't been defeated yet. He will when Jesus comes back. And we will fight until Jesus comes back. And the message this morning of Jesus to his disciples in John 16 is really a message of take heart, verse 33. You can put that verse up there. Take heart. Take heart, 
I've overcome the world. That's God's message to us this morning. Take heart, dear Christian. I've won the battle. I've overcome the world. The fight is difficult. Take courage. That that word take heart there translated in English from the Greek. That Greek word can also be translated take courage. The NASB translates it take courage. Isn't that what the Lord is saying to us this morning? He's saying, listen, believer, I know it's difficult. I know you lack courage. I know there are things that you are facing in this evil world. And sometimes your knees shake and sometimes you just want to quit. Take courage. Take courage. And that word, take heart, that Greek word translated take heart, can also be translated take cheer. The Revised Standard Version translates it that way. Or actually, literally, cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up, expeditionary force about to land on Normandy where you lose maybe half of your men on the initial barrage in the beach. Cheer up, men that will fight for over a year in the cold of of forests in Germany and, and freezing weather. Cheer up. I've won the war. The battle, you will have to fight. But cheer up. Have joy. And I believe that that message is the message for Palm Vista this morning. Because I believe that many of us lack cheer right now. You may lack cheer because a child in your family is not following the Lord. And you soak your pillows with tears at night over them. You you, you may lack cheer because you are hated at work for your faith. And, and, And Monday morning is coming... And you are not looking forward to it. You you may lack cheer because you look in the mirror and you say, how many times, and I'm going to use myself as an example, how many times, Al, are you going to give in to the same sin in your life? When are you going to stop this? And you can lack cheer. And I believe what the Lord is saying to you this morning is cheer up. Have joy. Let me, let, me just, let me just highlight for you briefly. We're going to go through these verses. I believe joy is a major theme in this text. Look at John 16.20b. John 16.20b. Your sorrow will turn into what? Joy. Look at, look at John 16.21. A curious illustration that our Lord chooses to use to help his expeditionary force understand the extent of what they're going to suffer and also the extent of the joy that will come through the battle. He uses this curious illustration of a woman giving birth, which we will get back to in a moment. It's a very, very heavily laden with theology illustration, particularly for a Jewish person. It's used in the Old Testament a lot. But look, look at this. Look at John 16, 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for what? For the joy that the, a human being has been born. Don't you see it? This passage is about a... Con- Look at the contrast of this passage. Sorrow, joy, peace, tribulation. It's, it's like saying, listen, I know this is hard, but I want you to have joy. I want to infuse you with joy. That's what I believe this passage is about. Another proof of that would be in 1622. 
16.22, where he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. There it is, sorrow, rejoicing. And no one will take your joy from you. 16.24b, ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And then finally, 16.33, the passage that we are just now talking about. But take heart. Again, that Greek word can be translated, cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up. This passage this morning is about, it's about the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ in his mission. Christ and his mission. His mission is what? To eliminate the tyranny of sin, which entered at the fall because of our choice. Adam chose for us. We would have chose the same thing. We chose rebellion. Sin entered. Jesus comes to eliminate the tyranny of sin over God's people. And so God now says, I want you to join the mission. And when I send you on this mission into the world, the world's going to be hostile. But have joy. Have joy. Have joy. I believe what God wants this morning is that God would make you more aware of Christ's overcoming power than of your sin. Which one are you more aware of this morning? I'm sure when those guys landed on the beach, they were aware of the machine guns firing at them, particularly as it killed the guy on the right and the left. Our supreme allied commander is saying, be more aware of Jesus who won the victory and will raise that individual up from the dead who just got killed on the right and the left than of the trouble and the difficulty of the mission. So here's God's word to you. It's in your notes. Experience Christ's joy in his mission to this troubled world. Experience Christ's joy in his mission to this troubled world. Experience Christ's joy in his mission to this troubled world. And I simply, I just want to outline for you three reasons why we can experience Christ's joy when we're standing on the beach as the expeditionary force about to go give our lives for the mission. There are three reasons, I believe, in this text. And number one, this first reason is we experience Christ's joy through his presence with us in the mission. We experience Christ's joy through his presence with us in the mission. Let's read together verses 16 to 22. I think you'll, you'll see this theme come out that I can have joy because Christ is with me in the mission that he's called me to. John 16, 16, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while you will see me. 17, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, because I am going to the Father. Verse 18, so, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Isn't that great? I mean, here are the troops like, Let's go, boss. Let's go get him. And he gives the command and they go, what did you say? What, what, what's the play? Wait a second. I go right, you go left. Is it on three or two or one? Or, what, what? And Jesus just patiently, he's looking at him going, the whole mission depends on these guys. <laughs> and they're going, he went that way. <laughs> Don't laugh too hard because look in the mirror. It depends on us too, okay? <laughs> All right. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, 
So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but... I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now look at verse 22. Let's start there. We see here that Jesus is definitely talking about his resurrection presence. Do you see that? I will see you again. See, Jesus' resurrection presence is what turns our sorrow into joy. Are you sorrowful this morning? Then accept this. Jesus is looking at you. It's not even that you're looking at him. He's looking at you. That will turn your sorrow to joy, no matter what your circumstance. Now, let's go back up to verses 16 to 19 to kind of help you see that this is what he's talking about. Like I said, the disciples are this willing expeditionary force. They're standing on the beach, but they're a largely uninformed expeditionary force. They don't know that the main strategy is for Jesus to leave via his death on the cross, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, so that then he can send the Holy Spirit. If you remember last week, we discussed this. Jesus is patiently explaining to them, I've got to go. Don't be distressed. I'm sending a helper. It's better for you that I go. He's going to teach you all things. They were largely ignorant of that. Even at the last hour, the invasion is going to launch in a few hours. Jesus will be arrested. He'll be crucified that next day. But they still don't understand. So what's happening here is that Jesus is patiently explaining to them, yet again, the strategy of the mission. And the way he explains it to them is in verse 16. Look at it again. Jesus just simply says, A little while, you will see me no longer. What is he referring to there? His death. His death on the cross. And, again, a little while, and you will see me. He's referring there to his resurrection. They don't get it yet. Because then they say in 17, what is this that he's saying to me? Second time now that this same phrase is going to be repeated. A little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. That's added there. They don't get it. Jesus knows they don't get it. And then in verse 19, Jesus repeats now for the third time the same phrase. Hey guys, do you want to know what I meant when I said, and he says it again, a little while you won't see me, and then again a little while and you will. Do you get it? The central theme of this passage is the joy of the Lord comes to his people because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the fact that God is with us all the time. I think that's pretty clear. Three times in four verses. But notice also the contrast. Look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. This contrast, this this fight that is going on, sorrow in the world, joy in the Lord. Why, why does the world rejoice? Well, they rejoice because they kill Christ. It's got to mean that. 
If your sorrow is because I'm leaving, and I'm leaving because I'm going on the cross to die for you, and the world rejoices when you're sorrowful, then the world is rejoicing because they kill Christ. Dear unbeliever here in our midst, I want to appeal to you along purely logical lines. Do not buy into a joy that only lasts three days. Buy into the joy that lasts forever. Jesus was stayed dead three days. Jesus is alive forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And your joy is based on his resurrection. Unless you don't know him. And if you don't, I appeal to you this morning. Bow your knee to him. That's the joy that lasts forever. Dear believer, do not put your joy in the world. That is fake. It's futile. It's temporary. It will always disappoint you. The world will stand you up and defraud you every time. The joy may last three days, metaphorically speaking, very short time. But resurrection day is coming. And your little game of joy apart from and in rebellion to God, that game will be over very quickly, trumped by the king of glory who rose from the dead. So, Christian, don't act like an unchristian. Put your joy in the Lord. Look at verse 21. What a curious illustration. So he just tells the guys what's happening, and they're still going, what? And then he pulls out this Old Testament illustration, which any good Jew would have resonated with. Why? Here's why. The Old Testament is filled with references. Maybe not filled, but there's quite a few references. Of a pregnant woman, representing Israel, writhing in labor, representing waiting, until the time of messianic salvation comes, represented by the the consummation of the kingdom of God. Most Jews understood that. Jot this down, please. In this point, Isaiah 26, 16 through 21. No time to read it this morning. I'm not going to read it for you, but go study it this afternoon. Isaiah 26, 16 through 21 is just such an example. So what is Jesus saying here? This is what he's saying here. For those who have ears to hear, he's saying, my death, my resurrection isn't just going to liberate you from your sin. My death, my resurrection is going to inaugurate a new age of the Spirit. Everything changes at this point. The messianic hope for salvation is here. The woman writhing in agony, Israel, God's people, so to speak, will then see the salvation of the Lord and the joy of that salvation will overshadow the sorrow. This has many applications, but let me just say this. Ladies who have had children, first of all, you have my deepest respect. You know what Jesus is talking about here, don't you? You know the agony. And guys, I've watched all four of my children being born. I know it, but not the way Desi knows it, okay? You know the sorrow, the writhing, the agony, the, oh, will this ever end? I can't take this anymore. And then you know the moment that child emerges, the joy that comes. And as it were, 
you almost forget the sorrow because there's a living creature in your arms, your baby. Oh, friend, Christian friend, I know it's hard right now. Some of you are writhing in agony over things that you want from the Lord, good things. And you, you can't, it's like you can't take it anymore. I just, I just tell you this. A day's coming when the joy of the Lord will be manifested by that thing that God wants. And, 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 and that day is assured by the resurrection day of Jesus Christ. And that day is coming. And when that day comes and that joy comes, it's going to overshadow all the sorrow. So Jesus is saying, cheer up today in light of that day. I know that's a hard one to hear, but it's a true one to hear. It's true. It's true. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. You see the word so also there? So also? What he's doing with that word so also, those two words, is he's attaching the Old Testament metaphor or illustration of a woman writhing in agony and giving birth all that that carried with it theologically of the coming of the spirit age, of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the messianic age of salvation. And he's saying, so you guys. He's taking that and bringing it to them. I pray that this morning God would take that and bring it to you. So you guys. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. I will see you again. Not you will see me again. Look at, see God's initiative. See God's sovereignty. See God's grace. I will see you again. He's referring to the resurrection. Remember in the resurrection? They didn't recognize him. Mary didn't recognize him. Thought it was the gardener. The two guys walking on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him. Until Jesus spoke their name. Until Jesus decided to reveal him. He sees you and he will reveal himself to you. And, and what he does, it's going to bring you joy. Look what it says in verse 22. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Why? Why can no one take your joy from you? Because no one can reverse the resurrection. The resurrection promises us Christ with us. This is the joy of the mission. And this is the joy that we have as Christians. And this joy is based on a redemptive historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. It happened once for all. It can't unhappen. It happened. No one can take this from you because God did this. Oh, what a... That's the joy you go after, not the fleeting joy of this world. And then ever so briefly, I just want to give you four practical ways that the resurrection enables us to experience Christ's joy in the mission. And you might just jot these down underneath point one there. Just four practical ways. There's probably more, but here's four. Number one, the resurrection, as we've just been talking about, it means that Christ is with us. Christ is with us. Jot down Matthew 28, verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us always. Second, the resurrection, it means that our sins are forgiven. It means that our sins are forgiven. Just jot down 1 Corinthians 15, 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. The Holy Spirit through Paul says, if, 
if there's no resurrection from the dead, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. So therefore, the opposite is also true. If he is raised from the dead, we're not in our sins. And he is raised from the dead, and we are no longer in our sins. That'll bring some joy to you. Number three, the resurrection from the dead means we have a future. means we have a future. You can just camp in 1 Corinthians 15, but in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that we are going to have imperishable, immortal bodies. Don't know what they look like yet, but they're going to look like Jesus somewhat. I mean, he's, a, he's the firstborn from the dead. Exactly what does that mean? I don't know, but here's what it means. Live forever, listen, on a new heavens and a new earth. No time to go into that. Get Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. It's entitled Heaven. More importantly, read the Bible about heaven. Read a lot in Revelation about heaven. It's great stuff. We have a future. And then number four, how does the resurrection give you joy? It means that our work is not in vain. Oh, I love this scripture. I love this scripture. Are you struggling with vanity, vanity of vanity, all is vanity? What is my life worth? What am I all about, God? Maybe just because I'm 53. You know, 53-year-olds tend to ask these questions every once in a while, you know? We're not quite as beautiful as we once used to be. No comments. And uh, you, start, you start analyzing yourself. And was it all worth it, Lord? And what, what, has really, what have I really accomplished? Which is really not a helpful question, I don't think. Uh, God will sort that out. But this is what it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to all 53-year-olds and everybody else. Therefore, therefore, therefore. What's that therefore? That therefore is therefore because he just talked about the resurrection for about 25 or 30 verses. Therefore, because of the resurrection, my beloved brothers, be what? Steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Expeditionary force, get on the beaches. Get up, take that hill. Go over there. Let's go. We should just be the most enthusiastic, fired up. I'm in faith. I'm full of joy. Let's go for it, people. Quick aside. The opposite of that is grumbling, unbelieving people who just sit in the back of the line and complain that the guy leading us doesn't know what he's doing. I was in the army, so I kind of know both. (laughs) I've done both. (laughs) Sorry, Lord. Uh, Let's be like in the gang saying, yeah, yeah, let's go take the hill. That's what that means. That's what that means. So here's my question to you. Does your heart rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Do you have joy? And does that joy release in you a faith and a work for the mission this Christmas. In January, Christmas is over. Next March, tomorrow at work. That's the question. Point two. How do we experience Christ's joy? We experience Christ's joy not only through his presence, but through his provision for us in the mission. Here's the deal with that. The provision of Christ for us in the mission comes primarily through prayer. Look at verse 23. John 16, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Now, just a quick aside here. That little phrase, all Jesus is saying is that day is the day after his death, resurrection, ascension, when the Holy Spirit is given. They're not going to ask anything of Jesus because remember, the Holy Spirit is sent to teach them. So up until this point, they've been asking Jesus everything, right? Hey, Jesus, what did you mean by that? Hey, Jesus, what did you mean by that? Hey, Jesus, what does that mean? Hey, Jesus, why'd you heal that guy? 
Jesus will be gone. <laughs> okay? So you will ask me nothing. You will ask God the Father in my name. He and I send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you. You see that? All right. So that's verse 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, of the Father, in my name, he will give it to you. Isn't that not amazing? I, I think that's provision, don't you? Can there be any greater co- provision? I don't think so. God the Father is going to give you everything you ask for in the name of the Son? I would say that's provision. Now, let me just say something here quickly about in the name of the Son. Yeah, right. Some of you are thinking, wow, I can ask for anything. Sounds like Christmas. Yeah, it's not Christmas in this sense, and God's not Santa Claus. Okay? That is a wrong view of God. What it means to ask in Jesus' name, this is what it means. It means trusting, relying on his sacrifice to cover our unworthiness and to have a sincere commitment to seek only those things which would accord with his glory. So now, if that's your motivation, have at it. Ask away. That's what that means here. Look at verse 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. There it is again, the joy of the Lord. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. That's coming very soon. In that day, which is the day after his death, resurrection, and ascension, and the Spirit is given, in that day, you will ask in my name. So now no longer do they ask Jesus, but they ask the Father in Jesus' name, which is the basic formula of prayer in Scripture, asking the Father in the name of the Son. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Interesting point. Verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. Friends, let me tell you what this means. What this means is that Jesus' death and resurrection changes our relationship with God because Jesus removes the barrier of sin between us and God, so therefore we can now approach God as our Father, and He will hear us if we pray in the name of His Son, and He will answer our prayers, and He will love us because we love the Son, but the only reason we love the Son is because the Father chose us and brought us to the Son, so the Father initiates it all, says, I'm going to choose you, bring you to the Son, give you a love for the Son, and then I'm going to bless you because you love the Son. Now that's Christmas. You do not deserve that, and God gives that to you in the Son. Do you see that? Now now go go back to the definition of praying in Jesus' name. Maybe it'll make a little more sense to you. Praying in Jesus' name means a trusting reliance on his sacrifice to cover our unworthiness. So I don't barge into God's presence saying, I have my quiet time today, Lord, hear my prayer. I come in really low and say, in the name of Jesus. I trust everything he did. I have no righteousness of my own. And a sincere commitment to seek only those things which would accord with his glory. So rather than seeking my will be done, I'm saying, Father, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? But, oh, friend, hear me. God's provision to us is prayer in Jesus' name. And when we come in Jesus' name, God listens because as John Calvin wrote in one of his commentaries, oh, this is a good one. If you can write this one down, I'll go slowly. 
we have the heart of God the Father. We have the heart of God the Father as soon as soon as we place before him the name of his son. We have the heart of God the Father as soon as we place before him the name of his son. We have the heart of God the Father as soon as we place before him the name of his son. Oh friend, place before him the name of his son. Do it every day. Run to him in prayer. He loves you. He gave you the love for the son. And then he says, I will answer you because you love the son. And then he says, I will, I will answer you because you come to me in the son's name. And all of it is from God. It is through God. It is back to God. To God be the glory. What provision? Point three. We experience Christ's joy, not just from his presence with us and his provision for us, but through his triumphant position over us in the mission. Through his triumphant position over us in the mission. Look at verse 29 to 33. By the way, folks, we're back to Trinitarian verbiage. Words, thoughts, ideas. As Miguel so aptly said, we're back in the very deep end of the pool. But let's swim around there because it's fun and God lets us swim in there. And he, He's knowable, not comprehensively, but he's knowable because he, 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 he descends and condescends to, to let us know. <laughs> and this is one of those places where he's letting us know. Listen to what he says. His disciples said, Oh, Now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you come from God. (laughs) The expeditionary force is like, we got it now. We understand the plan. Yay! Oh, three cheers. Let's go get them! And in the midst of that, Jesus brings reality. Verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Now, sarcasm, sarcasm is probably sin. Irony is not sin. Jesus never sinned. So this is, would be very ironic, okay? Oh, so you believe now. Okay, verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming, and it's real close. Indeed, it has come. I mean, the guys that are coming to arrest Jesus are probably on the way. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Trinity time. Let's put the disciples on hold. We'll talk about them for a moment. Jesus is saying in 32b, this is a father, son, and though he's not mentioned here, he was just mentioned, and Holy Spirit planned. It is the plan that will not fail. It is the victory that is assured, that I will assure in just a few hours in my death, and then three days later in my resurrection, and then 40 days later in my ascension when I send the Spirit to empower you. We, we are together in this. This is the Trinity. This is the Godhead. This is the plan. Listen, guys, remember this. 
Because in a moment, you're about to be scattered. But I won't be alone. I'll be with the Father. Except for those hours when I'm separated and rejected by the Father for you. I don't understand that fully. But it's true and it affects me. May it affect you. You see, the disciples, again, I was in the military. I can relate to this. I was never in combat. I can't relate to that. The, the scariest thing I ever did was jump out of a perfectly good airplane, okay? <laughs> Trust me, that is scary, okay? But no one was firing any bullets at me. I think there's a few guys here that have had bullets fired at them in combat. But here's the difference, guys. The Allied Expeditionary Force on that beach in front of Jesus suddenly, suddenly came through some training. They could march. They went through and they fired their blanks and they knew how to fire their M16 weapons and how to clean them. They knew how to set up this and set up that. And at the end of the time, they said, Hey, Jesus, we're a well-trained, well, well-trained army. We know, we know that what's going to happen there. We understand the plans. We've seen all the boards and all the maps. We know where to go. They were a well-trained army but they had no combat experience. They had no combat experience. And Jesus said to them, guys, when you get in combat, you're all going to run the other way. But I'm not. So trust me. So trust me. So trust me. Verse 33. When this hour comes and you leave, the Father and I are one, and He will reject me. He will, he will judge me. But that very judgment of God the Father on the cross, that death on the cross, it will finish it. It will win the war and I will rise from the dead three days later forever and ever and ever. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, guys, verse 33, I have said these things to you. What things? Everything we've just been reading. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Allied expeditionary force. But in the world you're going to get a lot of tribulation. Don't be surprised when the enemy starts firing at you. That's what enemies do. But listen, take heart, take courage, cheer up. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. So that our joy is based on Christ's position. His, his position in the Trinity his position at the right hand of the Father. Right now, there's a man at the right hand of the Father. Right now, Ephesians says that we are seated in heavenly places with him. So in him we have peace. But guess what? Spiritually, I am seated with him. But physically, I'm seated next to Wally. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. Or I'm seated next to someone that I'm about to share the gospel with. And in Christ, I have peace. In the world, I have tribulation. But both are true. Do you see the contrast? Sorrow, joy, peace, tribulation. Okay, expeditionary force, keep your eyes on me. Experience my joy, my presence, my provision, my position. You're positioned with me in the spirit. Now, go, go. Ground combat, ground pounders. Air Force can bomb all they want, but someone's got to get boots on the ground and take the objective. That's us. That's us. Our union with Christ, it means two things, dear friends. And with this, I'm going to conclude. Our union with Christ means two things. Number one, it means peace with God. Number two, it means trouble with the world. 
You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have peace with God and peace with the world. I'm sorry. Wouldn't it be nice? You're on God's team until the Germans capture you. Then you're a German. (laughs) Hey, don't hurt me. I always thought you guys were right. Can't do that. That's called a traitor. Can't do that. You want peace with God? You're going to have trouble with the world. You want peace with the world? You're going to have trouble with God. I know you, it's hard to understand this, dear unbeliever, but, but you don't want trouble with God. Dear Christian, you don't want trouble with God. Here's my appeal to you as we conclude. Speak to yourself often the words of verse 33. In Christ and his mission, Al, you have peace. But Al, in the world, in just a little while, you're going to go out, you're going to have trouble. But Al, take heart, take courage, cheer up, Al. Christ has overcome the world through his death and resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, I pray for my friends, some of whom here do not know you. They are very comfortable being at peace with the world. They love the world. And comfortable having trouble with you. The Bible says that if we love the world, that is hatred toward God. Lord, would you have mercy on their souls? Would you reveal to them the resurrection power of Christ? The eternal joy of that resurrection. Expose the temporary, fraudulent joy of the world. Lord, reveal to them the provision of of coming to you, Father, in the name of the Son who was rejected for us so that we might be accepted by the Father. And reveal to them, O Lord, your position, Jesus, ruling and reigning in the heavenlies. And I pray you would convict their hearts of this. They would run to you. Lord, I pray for my Christian brothers here and sisters, the majority that are here. Lord, would you encourage those that have been discouraged this week would you bring joy to their hearts through the resurrection power and truth oh jesus father in the name of jesus bring that encouragement oh father in the name of jesus would you assure them of your provision through prayer in the name of your son would you would you give them a glimpse oh father of the position of christ our position with christ in the heavenlies We're going to conclude by singing this song, completely done. It's a, it's a great song. As we stand, may this song lead you to the cross where Jesus suffered such loss to bring you close to the Father. No reason to doubt, dear friends. No reason to doubt. Let's sing. Let's sing.